Okay, Ricardio. I'll do it. I'll be your wife. Oh. If you can beat me at hand-to-hand -hand combat! Oh my. How Valkyrian. Princess, you are absolute... <laughs> You designed a self-congratulatory garbage! See, I know a thing or two about building a body out of biomass, and you don't leave your heart exposed! This is the bad place. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 5, Episode 20, Firebird. We are on Book 8, The Not-So-Good Place, because we're in hell. Although, I think that's going to turn around. This season is not as bad as I remembered it being. Yeah, I remembered it being, like, painfully bad when I wa when we were watching it the first time. But... I mean, this isn't even Peter Pan levels of bad. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, this is above some of the Arthur episodes. The Arthur season was way worse than I remembered. I, I'm still curious. The name of the episode is Firebird, you know, because it's Operation Firebird. Oh, you mean the operation that the Storybrooke crew started way back in the first episode of this season and then completely forgot about? I mean, they've been like, we should probably try and leave hell. That's sort of been a constant subtext throughout this season, but... Like, quick recap of Henry's story in this episode. He remembered that they were going to try to redeem people, so he's trying to squeeze in as much redemption in the last moments before they get out of hell. My god, Henry is his father's son. He's trying to keep the plot moving forward. Yeah, Henry is definitely Neil's son. Mm. Poor Neil. Poor dead Neil. See, that's the problem. He kept the plot moving forward... Send it straight to heaven. Didn't waste time in this weird Underbrook area. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame, because we really could have used him this season. Yeah. You'll recall last week we discovered that Zelina is going to try to redeem Hades with the power of her love. Mm. And at the end of last week's episode, Regina gave her her blessing to do that. And everyone is immediately on her back about this. Yeah, they're like, Regina, that was a terrible idea. Hades is the worst, and your sister is not any better. Yeah. Regina's like, I think that Zelina can redeem Hades. And Hook is all, wait a sec, wait, wait, wait. When when did Zelina become redeemed? I feel like I missed the part where she's not evil anymore. Uh, Zelina has not been redeemed. She has not repented for the things she has done she has not sought redemption i mean she's she's stopped actively antagonizing you i mean did she she didn't really now, now she's passively antagonizing oh okay well well in any event she got kidnapped by gold and pan yes gold and pan she went from season two spike to season four spike yes possibly season five spike 
Maybe season five Spike, but definitely not season seven Spike. See, Spike is better than Angel because he actually earns his redemption. See, Angel is cursed with a soul. Spike earns his soul when he realizes that he can't love without one. That is an interpretation of that. That's what happens. Anyway, Hades shows up to interrupt them arguing about Regina's stupid, stupid plan. To have Zelina bone the evil out of Hades. Hades interrupts them to tell them that it doesn't matter because Zelina has been kidnapped. Okay, I'm sorry, dude. Aren't you, like, the god of the underworld? Why are you so bad at your job? Why do you have so little control over your realm? I mean, this really seems like the sort of thing you should be able to handle by yourself. Right? Well, that's not what happens. What happens is he tells them that if they rescue Zelina, he'll take their name off the gravestone so they can all go back home and this plot will be over. And they are all very excited about that plan. The plan that involves this plot being over. Yes. Which, understandable, this season has been less painful than we remembered, but it will be nice to get out of hell finally. Okay, I am just so annoyed with Hades in this episode, though. Look, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about what's going on this episode. Hades is not really being redeemed. It's all a trick. He tells them that if they rescue Zelina, he'll let them out of hell. But then he traps them in such a way that they are still going to be stuck in hell when the portal to Storybrooke opens. But he's already won. He brought Regina around to his side. Regina gave Zelina his blessing to go bone him. The only thing he could possibly do by double-crossing them is that Zelina could find out and be pissed. What? What? Yeah, Hades is definitely the weak part of this season, because by the end of this episode, he will have literally everything he wants. Like, all of the things that have been established as his motivation, he will have all of those things. So he will double-cross the storybook crew for literally no reason. All it does is destroy him having what he wants. He contains the seeds of his own destruction. Like, and if this was more of a intentional thing, if this was more of a scorpion riding the frog's back thing. Sure, right? Like, he is who he is, and maybe even a little bit of tragedy because he can't help but self-sabotage. Yeah, it's in his nature. Right. And you could even make it really sad, like, where he can't believe that Zelina would ever love him, so he needs to separate her. And hell, that could play off Zelina's fears about not being redeemed, which is a thing all of a sudden that she cares about. Well, it could play off her fears of abandonment, which is a real thing she has. Yeah. An actual established thing. But no. No. So Emma makes the deal with Hades. She will help him rescue Zelina in exchange for everyone getting to finally leave this plot. And then we go to the flashback. The flashback this episode... I kind of really loved. I love this flashback, which is so weird because I remember the first time we were watching this, it made me so angry because this is this is the Jack's tattoo from Lost episode of Once Upon a Time. When we started this episode, you mocked it. You were like, oh, it's the origin of Emma's jacket episode. Yeah. And then at the end, I was like, okay, no, this they, they leaned into it hard and it's actually kind of it's actually kind of awesome. I mean, in an incredibly camp, tongue-in-cheek way. So since we've already kind of given it away a bit, the flashback is Emma before she became a bounty hunter, when she was still a woman on the lam. 
And we open with her in Maine. She still has her glasses on so that you know that she is young. Yes, this is young Emma, although this is post giving birth to Henry Emma because it's 2009. Yes. Which is really specifically dated, but... Yes, she is still wearing her hipster glasses, though, but by the end of this episode, she will not be wearing her hipster glasses. She will be adult Emma by the end of this episode. Mm. Her glasses were the last link tying her to her childhood, because Emma's subplot is going to be about letting things go. Hmm, I wonder if that'll come back in the finale. Maybe. I wonder if it'll come up and then be completely undone by the end of the finale. Oh, definitely. So Emma is at the roadside stand where she was originally dropped off as a baby. And she's looking for information from anyone who might know what happened to the baby. Also, damn, Maine is super pretty. It is. It is. Also, apparently you can just buy lobster on the side of the road. Like, did the Maine Tourism Board pay for this? Because Emma sadly gets her thing of lobster and then sits down on this beautiful roadside pastoral scene. There are birds flying in the air. It's... It's very pretty. It's like scenery porn. Honestly, this roadside stand has a little outdoor eating area that's next to a river. It's very pretty. Also, it really makes me want whatever deep fried lobster puffs they're eating. Mm. Yeah. So an And o- I'm hungry. <laughs> so an older woman notices Emma and sits down at her table. An older woman who's wearing a leather jacket that is not Emma's leather jacket, but please do note the leather jacket. Mm. And she's like, so... Trying to get information about babies, huh? Some sort of baby weirdo? She she does deduce pretty quickly that Emma is, in fact, the baby in the article. And then the woman reveals that she knows exactly who Emma is and that Emma is on the run from the law. In fact, this woman is a bounty hunter. I love how much this echoes back to the bounty we see Emma collecting in the first episode. In fact, it exactly echoes that because when Emma thinks she's been caught, she takes off and runs to her car, and the woman is just strolling after her because, like in that first episode, she has booted Emma's car. (laughs) This is also the origin of Emma learning the booting the car of the bounty before you confront them trick. (gasps) Also, Emma tries to drive with the boot on. That cannot be good for the car. No. Poor Herbie. She is driving the yellow bug, of course, because she's already been with Neil. Yes, and Neil magically changed the VIN number so it's not illegal for her to have that car anymore. Eh, that's the least of our worries. Okay, the bounty hunter's after her for, it's it doesn't come up now, but she's after her for violating parole? No, she's after her for robbing some convenience stores in Phoenix. That's what she says at the table. Ah. When did Emma have time to do that? I assume that when she got out of prison, she had no money because all of the money that august was supposed to give to her he took remember yeah and so having no money and and no skills and no prospects she just stole from a couple convenience stores and took off okay so there's an active bounty out for emma that just never came up after this point so back in hell we're having oh god it's a hostage standoff with rumple and Pan and With Rumpelstiltskin and his father, Peter Pan, who have kidnapped the Wicked Witch of the West and put a magic-inhibiting glove on her. Does everyone just have those gloves? There were so many of them. I don't know. So Rumpelstiltskin tells Hades that if he wants Selena back, he needs to rip up the contract. So he does, because he doesn't really give a shit about the baby. He just wanted 
Rumpelstiltskin to help him, which honestly he already did. Hmm. So he rips up the contract. Speaking of getting in your own way, everything Hades does. Well, not this part. This part was good. And then Peter Pan says, that's not enough. Peter Pan also wants to go back to Earth. He says, we agreed to give you back Zelina, but not her heart. And Zelina's like, okay, A, my heart has a protection spell on it because I thought this through. And B, wouldn't the heart be part of me if you're giving me back, but a piece of me is missing, then... There are so many problems with contract law with this. Like... The contract isn't void just because you rip it up. I don't know why TV keeps promoting that idea. But this is a mystical contract. Okay. Also, you agreed to give Zelina back. The heart is an inherent part of Zelina. Don't act like any court would back you on that. Which I guess is why it's a good thing there are no courts in hell. So, it's not a plot hole, but I do like the fact... I feel like this is subtle and possibly not intentional, but... Pan powers through Zelina's heart protection spell and just rips out her heart. He's like... Yes, she reminds him she has a heart protection spell and he's like, I'm Peter motherfucking Pan. I'm way more powerful than you are. But at the end of his story arc in season three, uh huh, he couldn't get past Regina's protection spell that she put on Henry's heart. So Regina is more powerful than Zelina, except that we've heard that she's not. You know what I think it is? I, I think this is that love thing. That thing where love makes your, uh... Love makes your magic stronger. So when Regina put the spell on Henry, it was done out of love and Peter Pan couldn't get through that. Love was his weakness. Yeah. And as we all know, Zelina hates herself, so... So sad. You made it so sad. Sorry. Too dark. Pan moves in to take the heart out. But you know what? Actually, I guess we never do find out if he's stronger than Zelina or not. Because before he can remove it, Emma shows up and light blasts him away. Yeah. You know, Emma, you would have ended the Zelina season way earlier if you had just walked in and done that. God, right? Rumpelstiltskin tells Emma that she's backed the wrong horse, and Emma's like, you got what you wanted, why are you even still here? And Rumpel becomes the best character in the show, and he's like, hey, you're right. And then he just bamps away! Uh... Yeah, then, then Pan is forced to angry bamf away because he doesn't have any backup anymore. His teleport is uh, red here. So is so is Rumple's. Pan and Rumple both had the same teleport here, which is maroon smoke. Hmm. Yeah. But Hades and Zelina hella make out, and it is true love's make out. Yes, we get the true love's kiss effect, and Emma just looks away because it's super embarrassing because they are just going to town on each other in the middle of Granny's diner. Anya's diner. So his heart is beating now, and that causes hell to implode no it has a it shakes a little bit because it's fixed now remember it was nothing but decay before but now the person who is at the center of it has a heart again so now it's good okay so why did zeus stop hades heart in the first place oh my god i just let's i i don't even i don't even know that's not important what's important is that somehow the fact that his heart is beating now means that a portal is going to open to Storybrooke, but also that portal will only be open for a limited amount of time, false stakes, people, and the portal will close at sundown. Does hell... I I know, way too late in the season, not going to matter in like 30 minutes, but... Look... Does hell have like traditional time? Why would it? Okay, well, I mean... 
time has started again, just like time started again when Emma entered Storybrooke, and just like the clock ticked forward one for every person who was released. But why does hell have time? It didn't have time before, but now that Hades' heart is beating, it has time. So are people going to start aging? Also, where is the sun coming from? Is this an alternate dimension thing? Is hell a physical place? Okay, you are picking up on something that we are going to talk about a lot more next week than this week, but which is very true. This episode and next week's episode are way more enjoyable than the rest of the season has been. And both of them introduce a shit ton of elements that really should have been established in the first half of this season and were not. Yes. Yeah, there's there's suddenly a lot of really important things just sort of crammed in at the end of this season. There's going to be a magical MacGuffin introduced next week that, that should have been introduced the first time we saw Hades. Hey, suddenly there's... I wonder how this will factor into the end of the season. So Hades takes them all to the graveyard, and now the clock tower is in the middle of the graveyard. And David's like, wait, why is the clock tower here now? And Hades is like, um, we don't have time to shoot two separate scenes. I need to take your names off the gravestones, and also the clock tower is going to turn into the portal. Okay, what I love about the explanation for what's going to cause the portal is that now that time is moving, the hands of the clock are starting to go faster and faster. And as soon as they go like super, super banana pants crazy fast, it opens a portal to the realm of the living. It's basically Superman reversing time by flying backwards around the earth. Yes, except it's hands going around a clock really fast until they open a portal to the land of the living. Well, how do you get to the land of the living, Max? You just go upstream that river of the dead. Yeah, that works too, I guess. Hades does remove all of their names from the gravestones, and then we see the, like, child scrawl of David's name on Snow's gravestone. And I was just thinking it would be hilarious if Hades couldn't remove that one because he didn't put that one there. Oh, that would have been great. But that's not what happens now. He takes it off. Also, if Snow was able to get out after Hook scratched her name out, why didn't Hook just scratch everyone's name out? Well, he had to replace it with something. I don't know. You can't just scratch out the names. You have to replace them with other names. So just like scratch it out and put people who are assholes' names on there. Okay, so Death Note. Death Note is what you're talking about. Okay, he doesn't cross people's names out in Death Note. He just writes names. So part of Death Note. This is basically Death Note. So now in order to get Killian back, you know to earth oh yes remember back in the first episode they established that emma and killian were gonna split emma's heart the way snow and david have a split heart so they're each gonna have half of emma's heart and that's how he's gonna get to go up to earth yeah that was a stupid plan then and guess what it's a stupid plan now regina takes out emma's heart and breaks it in half and there's some darkness in there yeah which is a nice touch it's mostly light but there is some darkness which is cool So Emma tries to, also, hearts just snap in half real easy. They're like popsicles, like those old school popsicles where there were two sticks and then you would like split them. Yeah. Like that commercial that they wrote in Mad Men where Don Draper got all sentimental about his mother breaking the popsicles in half because this was before he told everyone that he grew up in a bordello. It's a weird show. It is a weird show. Or a Kit Kat bar. 
Although those never seem like they break super, uh, I mean, I guess sometimes, but. Oh, I don't like cardboard covered with cheap chocolate, so I don't eat a lot of Kit Kats. Oh, shade on Kit Kats. Kit Kats are gross. It turns out that Emma's stupid plan to rip her heart in half and shove half of it into her boyfriend to bring him back to life is dumb because Hook is a rotting, rotting corpse. Yeah, Hades is like, that worked with Snow and David because David was dead for like 15 seconds. You're just going to bring back rotting zombie Hook because his body is up there rotting for like three months. Which is a strong point. It's yeah. a point they all should have thought of. Yeah, you know, you know what would have been handy? If they had left right away? Oh, no, I was going to say if uh, Regina had put one of those body preservation spells on uh, him like she did to, for uh, Daniel. That would have been smart. It would have been very smart. Yeah, but apparently, this, apparently the soul just sort of hangs out in your body for a few minutes after you die. Yeah. And he's like... He's like, that's why David didn't remember coming down here. He wasn't dead long enough. Well, haven't you seen Dead Like Me? I have seen Dead Like Me. That's what the Reapers do. They rip the soul out of the body after it dies. And if you don't do that, it's trapped in the body while the body is dead. Remember that episode where Georgia decides that she's not going to rip the souls out anymore because she feels guilty? And then that one guy is trapped in his body while he's like going through the embalming process? I don't remember that episode. It's been a while since I've seen it. I wonder how that holds up. It seems very, like, early, mid-2000s. So Emma asks if anyone has ever actually left hell, and Hades tells them the story of Odysseus and Euripides. And basically, Euripides got out because she ate ambrosia. Hades also says there's no evidence that it actually worked, which comes back to your point. Dude! Aren't you the master of this realm? Do you not know what's going on in your realm? You've been ruling hell since its inception. But of course, this is just a trap to trap Hook and Emma. So, But they should be suspicious of the fact that he doesn't know if it's a real thing. He's as bad a ruler as Snow White. Wow. Well, let's not go overboard here. <laughs> Back in the flashback, Emma is in a hotel room. The bounty hunter whose name is Cleo... Cleo Fox, which feels like it should be a reference to something, but I don't know what, and I'm not going to Google trying to figure it out. She handcuffs Emma to the bed so she can take a shower. And Emma, by the way, at this point notes that she's wearing the leather jacket. She's like, you need a shower in that stupid jacket. The Uh, jacket isn't significant enough to comment on if it wasn't a plot point in this episode. Yeah, like lots of people wear coats. You're in Maine. It's kind of cold. I mean, I guess they're indoors now, but... I mean, it's not weird that she's still wearing her jacket. Well, as soon as she is in the bathroom, though, Emma immediately grabs the complimentary sewing kit from the bedside table, picks the lock on her handcuffs, steals some money from Cleo's wallet. And notes a picture of her daughter, who is just two weeks away from retirement. Tasha is her name, according to the back of the picture. Hmm. Emma steals the money, and she is about to book it out of there. When she sees Cleo's laptop open and open to the people search thing that- Tracker. Yes. The people search database that bounty hunters use. So then one of my favorite scenes happens. Cleo comes out of the bathroom, sees that Emma is not handcuffed to the bed anymore, grabs her jacket to run out the door, and Emma looks up from the desk and is like, this database is awesome. And Cleo's like, you're still here. You had the chance to run. She's like, yeah, but like, 
look, they've there's a courthouse that has a file on me. Can we go there? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Emma has made this transition from criminal to annoying teenage daughter. Yeah, like. 10 minutes ago, she was your bounty, and now she's like, Mom, can we stop at the courthouse? She agrees to go quietly to, uh... Jail. Yeah. If they make this one pit stop, and the woman's like, well, why should I do that? And Emma's like, because I can pick locks and you have to sleep, so I'm basically going to be escaping all the time. Basically. Back in hell, the storybook crew is in Hades' throne room slash torture chamber, Getting the information about what exactly ambrosia is, the food of the gods, and where they can get it, which is down the elevator in the library because it's the set they have. Elevator. Yes. Regina notes that it wasn't on the menu at the Blind Witches, so I guess that's what that restaurant's called. I do like that she calls it the Blind Witches. So Emma's like, wait teleporting's a thing why don't i just poof down there grab it and poof back so hades makes a big deal out of the fact that he's the lord of hell and he can't do anything down there you can't do anything anywhere you're useless but she's gonna need to go down there no powers and pass a test because the ambrosia is sentient and it is power but it wants power and the ambrosia wants to protect its power it doesn't give its power to just anyone only those who are worthy it's basically a sword in stone again she's going to have to offer up her heart for judgment and she's like if i don't have powers how am i gonna show up my heart and he just casually reaches into her chest and pulls it out yep and Emma's like, this, twice in one day. Emma really does literally say, let's not do this anymore today because she is sick and tired of having her heart ripped out. Hook channeling the audience says, you don't need to do this. And Emma says, you didn't have to sacrifice your life for us. Yes, he did. He's the one who opened the portal to hell. He was the whole reason your lives were in danger in the first place. Oh my God, this... Uh, they forgave Hook way too easily. I, I, uh, anyway, the two of them go down to hell. But he was possessed by the dark one. So was Emma, and she didn't open any portals to hell. Anyway, they go down to the sub-hell basement together. Yeah, Emma has a really truncated, bye everyone, I'm off to super hell, and everyone's like, bye Emma. Well, they don't think she's gonna die. I mean, worst case scenario, she fails to save Hook's life. Did I say worst case scenario? (laughs) Anyway, Mr. Gold's pawn shop. Gold is all sad because, as you will recall, Belle put the sleeping curse on herself to protect her baby, and Rumpel can't kiss her because their love isn't quite true enough. Well, he can, but then he'd just be some weirdo creep kissing a lady in a coma. I guess. Pan shows up and is like, Hey, if you really loved her, you'd be able to wake her up with true love's kiss. But I'm your father. And I love you, so we should be doing evil things together because I need your help. And Rumpel's like, that was never our relationship. Like, I know you're trying to manipulate me to get you out of hell, but do you remember the part where you abandoned me and then spent, like, half a season fucking with me? Like, we do not have this kind of relationship. I like that while they're having this discussion in Gold's shop, you can see geppetto's puppet parents in the background 
Which is... Foreshadowing? Well, I think it's a reminder of what bad parents Jiminy Cricket had. No. Although basically everything in this show is a reminder of bad parents because the show is bad parents all the way down. But you remember how they became puppets, right? Yeah, Jiminy Cricket's parents turned them into puppets with Rumpelstiltskin's... By swapping out the water. Oh, that's true. They did swap out the fairy water. The, the fairy water. Oh, maybe the show is cleverer than I'm giving it credit for. When it's referencing itself. When it's referencing itself. Speaking of, Pan's like, okay, granted, I'm a super shitty dude, but I got Pandora's box. And in exchange for his help, Pan is going to give... Rumple Pandora's box to keep Belle safe in? Yeah, I don't know. Is he going to shrink her down and put her in the box? Like, No, you can trap full-size people in the box. Okay. Remember, that's what happened to Henry and Pan's body. Oh, yeah, I forgot about all of that. I forgot about literally all of that. Yeah, but, I mean... Okay. Why does Rumple need to put her in that box to keep her safe? This is an unnecessary complication that really should have been introduced at the beginning of the season or not at all. Honestly, Rumple's story is weirdly tacked on. We pop in and out of it, but nobody else seems to be really interested or involved in what's going on. So we pop out of it really fast. It's Spike's plotline in the last three episodes of season six of Buffy. You are really down on season six Spike today. I'm just down on those last three episodes. I don't have issues with Spike. Spike's fine. Spike's fine. I just think you might be giving him too much credit. (laughs) Back at the mouth of the elevator, Henry's like, Hey, remember that thing where all of the people are trapped down here because of unfinished business? I realized, like, a lot of them probably don't even know what it is, and I'm the author, so maybe I could use my omnipotence to help some people out. Yeah, I should just walk around with my book and tell everyone what their unfinished business is so they can all move on. And everyone's like, okay, Henry, you go do that. Yeah, they're kind of dismissing him, but he's being way more helpful. Yeah. Like, also, when people's souls escape hell, uh, it takes power away from Hades. Henry is trying really hard to be in the season that this season should have been. Yes. And no one is going along with him. Also, just to backtrack a little bit... Hades said earlier that the only two people to escape his realm were the, you know... Orpheus and Eurydice? Yeah, did it through, uh, you know... Eating ambrosia. But haven't people been escaping his realm all season? Isn't the point of his realm to escape his realm? I mean, I I know what he means by coming back to life. It's just weird phrasing. Yeah, he means returning to Earth. So, star of Meet the Spartans, Robin Hood shows up. Yeah, Robin Hood, who's been in the woods, so he hasn't been involved in this whole discussion about Zelina being redeemed now and boning Hades to redemption. And he shows up and they're like, oh, yeah, we're on Hades' side now and also Zelina's. And he's like, wait, what? Zelina killed my wife. And raped me. I mean, we've been really hard on robin hood because he's kind of just a generic guy with a concerned badger face and we get a ton of concerned badger face in this episode we really do but at least his concerned badger face is concerned for a valid reason this episode he looks so stunned that everyone is just deciding to ignore the fact that this woman assaulted him and killed his wife and he doesn't bring this up 
I, I mean, she's not here, but she also killed Neil. You know, Emma's... True love? Ish. Henry's, Henry's dad? dad? Like, he has a very good reason to be uncomfortable here, and everyone's kind of being condescending and awful to him. Yeah, they're all being terrible to him. And then he gives the baby to Zelina to hold, because she's redeemed now, so now... Although he looks so uncomfortable during this whole thing. He should be. Honestly, this whole scene is terrible. Yeah, and the only reason he hands the baby to Zelina is because Regina's like, I need you to trust me more than you hate her. Yeah, and then he goes off into the corner and is obviously upset, and Regina's like, are you okay? No, obviously he's not okay. I, I, I think this might actually be the most I've ever felt for Robin Hood in this series. Yeah, I think so. Which means he's ripe for Rumpelstiltskin to show up and steal his heart, which is what happens. Really, Pan, you want to be walking around with that heart beating in your chest? Wow, that sympathy train for Robin Hood stopped real fast, didn't it? I'm sorry, but Robin Hood, I don't have anything against him. He is a character I'm relatively neutral on. But his main role in the show is sort of being ineffectual and watching people die. For a while. Back in the flashback, Emma and Cleo are at the county records office trying to get Emma's records, and Emma's like, what is taking so long? And Cleo is like, bureaucracy? Bureaucracy is what's taking so long? Welcome to being an adult. Also, like, you were a baby in this state for like three minutes about 20 years ago. Your stuff probably isn't like top drawer. Yeah. Also, Cleo takes the opportunity to tell her that the jacket that she always wears is her armor. That's why she wears it. It makes her not freak out all the goddamn time. So maybe Emma needs to find some armor so that she can turn it down a little bit. Emma's not in the mood to have her emotions dulled, though, because the folder shows up and all that's in it is the newspaper clipping she already has and a brief write-up about her being found. Yeah, I mean, what were you really expecting, Emma? Well, it's funny because I think Emma has seen enough cop shows that she thought there would be all of this information that she doesn't already have. And that's just not the way it works, Emma. And Emma starts flipping out. She's like, maybe he dropped something. Maybe something got left out. And Cleo's like, no. Shut up. Time to go back to Arizona and go to jail. It's not that bad. After all, it's not hell, which is a weird thing to say. But, you know, it ties back. It, it sets up what's going on in the other plot so yes it it nicely takes us back to hell where henry has set up a little lemonade stand a little author lemonade stand where he writes out people's unfinished business for them with the author pen and just zoops them up to heaven or i guess i guess he's just do it i guess people are just reading it and deciding okay am i am i going to get to heaven from this or not well it's telling them what they need to do he's basically a quest giver hmm yeah although it's also sort of a therapy thing because the person he's dealing with speaking of season one callbacks i know it's the dwarf stealthy who was killed in the mission you know the one that snow got killed by using as a meat shield yes the the eighth dwarf the eighth dwarf before tiny was the eighth dwarf the thing is it's like part quest giving part therapy 
Yeah, we only come into the end of it, and so we don't know exactly what Stealthy's unfinished business was, but he says he didn't realize he was so resentful of Bashful. So I guess letting go of that. I'm just so fascinated by what that backstory could be. I've said it once, I'll say it again. We need more dwarves on this show. We absolutely do. Anyway, David comes over to break up this good scene by telling Henry that it's time to, you know, go home and get out of here. And Cruella also shows up because she is super, super pissed that people are going to heaven. Because now that Hades is good or whatever, she is going to be queen of the realm. And she doesn't want her subjects leaving. Okay. Awesome. Although, does Cruella really have any unfinished business? Like, at all? I have no idea what Cruella's unfinished business could possibly be. But they're like, Cruella, calm the fuck down. Like, you have no power here. We know you can't hurt anyone. And she goes off on this speech. She tells them that she is super mad at all of them. She's mad at Henry because he wouldn't write her back into the upper world. She's mad at David for killing James. For dissolving James, the shiniest toy in the toy chest. She doesn't mention that she's mad at Emma for killing her, but I'm sure that's in there too. Eh, She slapped her once. She's over it. And they're all like, Krilla, you have no powers. You can't even kill people. And then Emma Caulfield just pops up and is like, surprise, bitch. Yeah, it turns out I'm not super cool with Regina. She says that uh, it's payback for tricking those children into burning her in her oven. Uh, No, they just trapped her in the oven. Regina set her on fire. I think that that's just so that you don't have to have actually seen that episode to follow along. You can just assume that it's... The Hansel and Gretel story. Yeah. But yeah. Regina did straight up murder her. (laughs) Yes, she did. But the blind witch waves her hand and force pushes them all into the library and presumably locks them in there. Hmm. This is a little more powerful than we saw the blind witch. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, her powers worked well on children, but as soon as she went face to face with Regina, Regina just fried her last time, so. True, true. So down in the under-underworld, Emma and Hook come across a scale and instructions written in Latin. And Hook is like, oh, I read Latin. It says, only a heart filled with true love can pass. Why is it written in Latin? Isn't this an Egypt thing? It is an Egyptian thing. I guess it would be less plausible for Hook to know Egyptian. Yeah, I like how he's like, I was in the Royal Navy. We learned Latin. What? Does Emma know that part of his... How much have they talked about his past in general? Oh, who even knows? Like, she knows that he had a brother, and that the brother was a good guy? I don't know. But the point is, Emma has to weigh her heart, and if her love for Hook is true, then the Ambrosia will appear for them or something. Have they actually had True Love's Kiss at any point in this show? They have not shared True Love's kiss, or at least at no point have they kissed and had the magic effect happen. Hmm. I mean, it doesn't happen every time. It's something you sort of have to will a little bit. Well, it also only happens when there's actually a curse to be broken, which has not happened. Oh, right. The little magical effect we see is just the uh, curse breaking. Right. So Emma goes on this long speechy speech about how her leather jacket is her armor and it protects her from... It protects her not just physically, but emotionally, but she forgets that when she's around Hook, she doesn't need it. Although clearly you do because he sent your, he tried to send your entire family to hell. 
Like, yes, you do need emotional and physical protection around this man. Emma weighs her heart, and it is not found wanting. Hook immediately assumes it didn't work because it doesn't work, like, immediately. No, what happens is that Emma appears to have a heart attack because her heart, and when Hook tries to get the heart, he bursts into flame, and then Emma has to choose her own heart or Hook. It's clearly a test. It reminded me of The Good Place, where the judge tells Eleanor that she and Chidi can go to the good place if they leave everyone else behind. And she's like, okay, well, this is clearly a test. And we're not leaving anyone behind. But also clearly a test. Yeah. And Emma passes the test by saving Hook instead of her own life, which, no. No. Also, I don't know what her plan was. She just sort of tackles Hook and then he stops being on fire. Stop, drop, and roll, dude! Okay, but, like, he's engulfed in mystical flames and she just sort of tackles him. You don't think you could stop, drop, and roll mystical flames? It wasn't rolling. It was dropping. Well, she didn't have to roll. She dropped and that was sufficient. The door opens and now they can go in and eat the ambrosia. Or can they? Also, that scale looks really dirty. Like, I hope Emma wipes off her heart before sticking it back in her chest. Or does she just have to carry it around now? Until... Yeah, she has to carry around everything that her heart has been in contact with. Like, like we all do. Oh, I, I meant, does she just have to, she, she still doesn't have her magic powers. Does she just have to carry it around until they get back up? Yeah, that's why Hades gave her a little heart-carrying satchel. He did. He gave her a little heart-carrying satchel. It's just, that's got to be uncomfortable. Like, if you've got a little piece of dirt in your heart from it being on that scale, and then it's just like having dirt in your eye, except it's in your chest and it's forever. Yeah. We're all walking around with little pieces of dirt on our hearts from, like, life. I feel like you're speaking more metaphorically than I am. Back in the flashback, Emma is in the hotel room with Cleo, and Cleo is asleep, and Emma's like, well, fuck this, I'm just gonna break out and break into the county record room, because surely they have something more in there than what they gave me. Spoiler alert, no. No, they do not. But Cleo shows up and is like, what the hell are you doing? You need to let it go. You hung out with Elsa, or you will have hung out with Elsa in the future. Yes, she tells Emma she needs to not be so obsessed with her past. Like the people in hell, she needs to drop her baggage so that she can move on. When Cleo shows up, Emma's like, oh, did you call the cops? And Cleo's like, no, I broke in too so that I could save your fucking ass. And now we are both in trouble because, uh uh-oh, the police are here. The police came really, really fast, by the way. Yeah. So, Cleo... Cleo kicks out a window for them to escape through, like a second story window, and then jumps out of it like a badass. And Emma follows her, and the two of them take off. We cut from the two of them running to back in hell, where Emma and Hook are running in to get the ambrosia, which is weird because they shouldn't be running, they should probably just be walking because Hook was just on fire and Emma doesn't have a heart. But they're running so that it will match the shot. Yes, it does a very good job of matching the shot that came before it. But it turns out that the ambrosia is all dirt and garbage because Hades was lying to them to keep them trapped in hell. Yeah, there was ambrosia at one point, but Hades destroyed it because... After Orpheus used it, he's like, yeah, no one else is getting away with this. And also Hades can't allow himself to be happy, so he can't just let them get out of hell. So... Speaking of stupid things Hades has done, 
In the library, the rest of the storybook crew is realizing that there is no way the blind witch was strong enough to trap them. And Regina refers to her magic as being half-baked. Oh my god, I love Regina! Now is not the time for puns, Regina. It is always the time for puns. So, she's like, god fucking damn it, this is Hades. She's got, I don't know, Hades juice powering her spell. God fucking damn it. And at the portal, Hades and Zelina are about to go through. And Zelina doesn't want to go through because the rest of them aren't there. And Hades is like, they're heroes. You know they're going to go through at, like, the last possible second. We should just go and get set up at home. Which He literally says, like, you know how this sort of thing works. They're just going to get through the last second. Don't freaking worry about it. I mean, maybe Hades should have thought about that for a second. Because, spoiler alert, that is exactly what happens at the end of this episode. Yeah. Oh no, my lies have become truth. Back in Gold Shop, Rumpel and Pan are having a villain off. Yes, Rumpel has brought the heart to give to Pan. Okay, wouldn't the rotting body thing still apply to Pan? Oh my god, don't even I get I mean, me I know it doesn't matter, but... Also, it's annoying because we've been seeing people in hell trying to get hearts to get to the upper world the whole season. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't work for Hook? I just... Oh, you know what? Maybe that was a thing that Hades lied about. Maybe Hades was stopping him from coming back through some other means as part of this whole I'm not going to actually let them get out of hell thing. Or maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it straight up doesn't matter. Yeah, maybe they put no thought into it. Anyway. I mean, the heart, uh, like, what do you, the thing he said makes sense. Hook would be coming back to a rotting body. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And honestly, it works with what we've seen in Once Upon a Time before with, you know, Regina and Daniel. Like. I mean, came back wrong. The only thing really standing in the way of that being a good explanation is the whole David and Mary Margaret thing. And even then, like, eh. So Hell is, like, collapsing or something, I assume, because Hades is gone? I don't know. Hell is collapsing, and Emma and Hook, who are down in, like, the dead Ambrosia Grove, have to book it the hell out of there, and their running out of there is nicely matched to the flashback, where... Emma and Cleo are still running. Yeah. See, Cleo was perfectly fine for as long as it took them to run several blocks away, and suddenly she realizes that there's a giant piece of glass sticking out of her midsection. It was adrenaline! She was moving on adrenaline! Apparently. Yeah, but I guess when she jumped out of the window, she got stabbed with a piece of glass, and now she is totally gonna die. It's basically the end of Black Swan. Sorry, spoiler. She's like, God damn it, this is why... I shouldn't have been a mentor. And also, did you see that picture of my kid? Also, I'm two weeks away from retirement. Ugh. Wait, wait, wait. No, this is important. She tells Emma really quick as she's dying that she gave her daughter up for adoption. It's just been creepily stalking her. And also, she had to give her up for adoption to give her her best chance. Oh, my God. It's, it's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of deathbed exposition. And she's like, you have to run. You, you can't go down for this. You can't go down for this. Which is actually a really important point. I mean, you were talking earlier about Emma serving her time in Phoenix. How is she not also charged with murder? This is the bounty hunter who was supposed to bring her in. And she's dead stabbed in an alleyway. Yeah, also a lot of people saw the two of them together. I mean, there is no way Emma doesn't go down for first degree murder for this. (laughs) Except that she doesn't. Yeah, she just leaves this lady to die in an alley. 
She tells her to. Yeah. Well, the cops actually show up. As we learned from that alternate dimension the author created, Emma is incapable of leaving when someone is telling them to leave. It's that scene with Hook, when Hook was fighting Evil Snow, where he's like, you have to go, I'll hold them off, and Emma just stands there and watches him die. Oh, speaking of, down in the Ambrosia field, Hook is like, Emma, you have to go up without me. Poor Emma, Jesus, she's just always being told to run on without people. It's a, it is a reoccurring theme in her life. He tells her that he's not going back to Earth because, you know, he doesn't have a heart and there's no way to get out and he wants her to go back to Earth. Also, he's staying down in this particular part of hell because he doesn't want to say goodbye to everyone else. So, Which I understand because it's your fault they're all here. It, it's super embarrassing, honestly. It is super embarrassing that you tried to kill everyone, got yourself killed, they all came down to hell, went through torture for three months, and now you're like, well, that was for nothing. (laughs) Peace out. Welcome to No Moral Theater. So Emma and Hook say their very, very sad goodbyes. And Emma sadly gets on on the elevator and sadly sticks her hand through it so she can reach down to him as she goes up and he stays down. I know it's the angle it's shot at, but it seriously looks like that elevator is going to chop her hand off. I know, you pointed that out and I couldn't not see it. It's unfortunate. Also, Emma, you are on a time skip. Like, I know it's very sad you're leaving Hook in hell, blah, blah, blah. And she tells him, she's like, look, don't wait for me. Move on. Move on and get over me. Bitch, the sun is setting! Get a move on! Yes, uh, like, I get it, it's an important message, blah blah blah, but they're dragging this goodbye out really, really long. You are on a very, very particular timetable. You know, people on TV are always like, I don't want you to spend your life missing me, move on! Or or alternatively, go towards the light, I'm fine, you can move on. Fuck that. No. I'd be like, you stay right here. I will be back in about 50 years. Hopefully 50 years. Okay, there are good things in this episode, but every scene is like 60 seconds longer than it needs to be. Yes. So uh, back in Boston, Emma is on Mass Ave or Mass Ave adjacent. It's been a while since I've been in Boston, but this actually was shot in Boston. I recognize the street. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so apparently she's a bounty hunter now. I think maybe she just took Cleo's identity? Maybe. It seems... This whole scene is shot to sort of mirror her first encounter with Cleo. Like, the way she sort of... She follows this girl and she comes into... Because she's following a girl and she goes into the shop the girl goes into. Turns out she works there. Yeah, she shows the girl the picture that she, I guess, took from Cleo. Okay, like... I get what she's doing here. Like, I get that this is resolution, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she tells the girl, look, this is, your birth mother took this picture. I was friends with your birth mother. And the girl's like, oh my god, I want to meet my birth mother so bad. And it was like, oh. Yeah, she's dead now. She's super dead. Here's a file about her. Good luck on your shift. Yeah, she just started work. And then Emma's like, oh, can you ring me up? (laughs) Yes, because Emma dumps, she's like, by the way. I have all this information on your birth mom. She loves you and she wanted to be in your life, but she's dead now. Can I buy that coat? Yep, she buys the red leather jacket. 
Okay, and I love the emphasis, the slowness of her picking it up, the fact that we don't see it, the fact that the camera's like revolving around her as she picks up this coat and slowly puts it on as the music builds. It is definitely a gearing up shot moment. But... This is her this is her Sailor Moon transformation into real Emma. Which like I get that they wanted to do that, and I guess it made sense to condense the two scenes, but she has just traumatized this girl, and now she's like, but you do work in retail, and it is time for work. And the girl even has to, like, smile at her and be like, have a very Romy and Michelle day. I just, it's, it's so hokey, and I thought it was the dumbest thing ever when we first watched it, but I honestly kind of love it now. Well, now it's... It's still the dumbest thing ever, but hilariously the dumbest thing ever. It's, no, honestly, this is terrible. I mean, this is how I'm going to buy clothes from now on, though. You stand, like, dramatically in the middle of the store and you just stare off into the middle distance as you slowly pull some, slowly pull the article of clothing on and then you take out your glasses and you you let your hair loose and you're like, I'm Emma now. I thought you meant that from now on you were going to buy clothes by, um walking into the store and telling the poor retail worker some terrible thing about their past and then be like, can you ring me up now? Your birth mom is dead. Can you ring me up now? You know what? That's way worse than hitting on someone at work. So Emma is having a sad on the elevator because her armor can't protect her from constantly having dead boyfriends. It's true. It's a true statement. Maybe if she was wearing a uh, tiny leather coat on her... On her heart? Well, I was thinking on her vagina of doom. So she's like, what are you all doing here? Shouldn't you be... Running to the portal? And they're like, where's Hook? And she's like... "Mm." Yeah, Hook's not coming. And Regina's like, oh, well, then we should use some lesbian subtext to blast this door open together. Yeah, she's like, we're trapped in here, but if you want to, like, hold hands. And I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, my boyfriend's dead, so yeah, let's let's hold hands. <laughs> Might as well. And the two of them do combine their powers and blast open the doors because you know they could because... By their powers combined. What's gonna work? Lesbian subtext. <laughs> so, they all run out and Henry is a good kid. Henry leaves behind the storybook with all of the pages that he's made so that people will find it and find their... Way out of hell. Yes. Because he's a good kid. Yeah. In Mr. Gold's shop, Peter Pan is like, I know that we were waiting for the last second for dramatic emphasis, but can you put Robin Hood's heart in me now so that we can, like, get the F out? I really don't know why we waited for everyone else's subplots to resolve before we did this, but... And Rumpel shoves the heart into Peter Pan, and Peter Pan's like, I feel weird. Wait, what is it? Mr. Stark, I feel funny. And, okay, this is a fucking dark moment, but it's also so good. Yeah, Rumpelstiltskin tells him that it is not a heart, that he glamoured a sheepskin full of the River of Souls water. And he has just shoved River of Souls water into his father's chest. And now he's gonna, like, burst from the inside, because fuck you, dad! Yeah. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you just need to cut toxic people out of your life. And out of everyone's life. By destroying their souls. It's actually kind of a cool effect, because he, like, 
dissolves into a fog that looks like water because he's being consumed by the river of souls. And Rumpel's like, welp, that's that. Yep, and then he puts Belle inside Pandora's box, I guess? That's really weird. It's just... It's... I mean, I guess it's so he doesn't have to physically carry her around, but... What's really weird is this entire subplot existed so that we didn't have to worry about the optics of Rumpelstiltskin lugging an unconscious body through the portal. This is the whole reason this plot happened. Yep. So he just kind of casually strolls through the portal. Eh, why not? I. Other people should take note from this. Oh, you mean just walk through the portal and don't stand there pontificating while the sun sets? Because everyone else is running up to the portal. It's weird how they're running to get to the portal. But then Emma hesitates. She's like, wait, I just remembered my dead boyfriend's here. And David's like, no, no, we have to go. And she's like, wait, but I need to tell you about this jacket and how it's like armor. And David's like, no, seriously, we have to go. The sun is setting. And she's like, it's armor. But it can't just be armor for me anymore. It has to be armor that extends the people I love. And David's like, seriously, seriously, we are on a really strict timetable. I, I, I thought he was going to have to physically pull her through the portal. And she's like, I can't lose anyone else. And David's like, then go through the effing portal. Oh my God. And she, and then she even does one last look and she goes through an instant before the portal closes just to like give us all anxiety while we're watching literally the second she goes through the portal closes and that's the end of the episode yeah so i feel like this was a better episode to watch than to talk about because as we were talking about it all of the persnickety stuff that bothered me the first time kind of came back well i really enjoyed a lot of moments in this episode but when we were watching it I think we were both like, oh my god, how is this episode still on? And it is because, as I said, every scene is just 60 seconds too long. But yeah, I think on the whole, I, yeah. I guess this is where we're going to be dropping the what this show should have been instead segment, except for each scene should have been 60 seconds shorter. Obviously, they were short on time, I think. We could have just spent more time on Operation Firebird, the thing this episode is named for. Yeah, why is this episode named that? Henry's, like, you're right, all of that time should have gone into Henry's subplot. We had one scene of him helping Stealthy move on. We could have had a lot more of that, cut every scene just a little bit shorter, and this episode would have been amazing. Yeah, as is, it's still a really solid episode. Also, maybe they could have split things up, like... Okay, for storytelling, I understand having the clock tower be in the graveyard, it would have it would have felt really draggy if they had to do that in two separate scenes. But maybe don't tell the girl about her dead mom in the same scene where you buy the jacket. Just a thought. Just a thought. Also, speaking of buying the jacket, I feel like we should not do fashion corner this week. Like we should just take this fashion corner this week to honor the jacket. Yes. Although, I do want to point out one thing. Not Fashion Corner related. Oh. Still uh, still about the previous thing, but also you could have legitimately just cut all of the Rumple Peter Pan stuff. I mean, it's so weird that this episode starts with a hostage situation that's immediately resolved. I guess the Peter Pan thing's there to kind of tie up some loose plot threads, but... I guess? it's It's another one of those things where it's like, 
This either should have been introduced way earlier or not at all. Yeah. So I think that'll about do it for this episode. I think I think it will. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to be one of those supporters, you can go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I Love Television Zines. You can also contact us on Twitter at I Love TV Zines or through email at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. No, I said, I do not think that it's all in.